And we want to welcome those of you who are visiting. I want to let you know that in the hour that follows, there is a class designed for our visitors that I have the privilege of teaching. I would love for you to come. It's in the uh, visitor's classroom, which is just off uh, our welcome center there to the uh, down to your left as you leave the sanctuary this morning. Um, it just gives me a, uh, a more open situation in which to meet you and hopefully uh, we'll provide you with a little more information and understanding about who we are and what it is we believe and teach. Um, so if you can, join us then. And uh, I hope you will also um, uh, find the uh, time to join us this evening. It's our final uh, study for this particular uh, school year in the book of Revelation. Um, we're going to look at chapters 10 and 11. And if you haven't been present yet, I urge you to come. I think the end of chapter 11 in Revelation is a very uh, obvious um, point at which the book can be divided and we'll continue with uh, chapter 12 uh, and on uh, beginning in September, but we will review very quickly and hopefully set things into place and um, I hope you can uh, join us for that study this evening at six o'clock. Let me ask you if you would this morning, there are several scriptures I've given you, but let me ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And um, just uh, revising a little bit what's in your bulletin, let me begin reading with verse 17. Ephesians, the uh, the fifth chapter uh, and the 17th verse, Paul writes, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church's body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so, the context here that I want you to see before we get uh, to verse 22 this morning, uh, going back to verse 17, the context has to do with, Paul says, not being foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And then Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, uh, that you might indeed be able to uh, testify to your joy in the Lord, give thanks always and for everything, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And finally, by direct application this morning, verse 22, and wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Let's look to the Father in prayer. Lord, I ask that you would open to our minds and our hearts this uh, teaching of your holy word. 
Father, this is for us a challenging, if not in fact, uh, disturbing passage. Um, and help us, therefore. Uh, we need you to help us to properly understand, to properly apply, as which, which we will attempt to begin this morning and continue over into next week. Um, but to understand and apply this, your holy word, um, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I think it is perfectly obvious that most people, when and if <laughs> they give any thought to what the Scripture teaches about the relationship of husbands and wives, most people seem to focus on Ephesians 5.22, or its parallel, Colossians 3.18, where we read, Wives, submit to your husbands. Almost makes us choke a little bit. Even those who love the Lord, even those who love the Lord and take seriously His Word, find it at times a challenge, a, a, a terrific challenge, a, a, almost a terrible challenge to understand and apply this biblical, these biblical directives to their particular circumstances. I mean, even though saved by faith, even though saved by faith, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ as, as Savior and Lord and, and King and, and therefore rescued, rescued from sin's uh, control, we, we're still tempted. We're still tempted to distort Scripture's meaning, to distort it, or to insist that it really doesn't fit our situation. I've had men use this these verses, uh, this verse, if you will, Ephesians 5.22, I've had men who use this verse as a justification for their sinful, tyrannical domination of their wives and of their family. It says, she's supposed to submit to me. I've had women watered down the impact of these verses in order to justify their unwillingness to submit to someone whom they're convinced isn't nearly as intelligent as they are, and sometimes that's even true. Often that may be true. To someone, to submit to someone who is not anywhere near as spiritually mature as the wife may be, which at times can in fact be true. And of course, what, what adds to all of this is that our, the so-called leaders of our, of our secular society, uh, you can see it, you can hear it, you can read it almost anywhere at any time. Uh, the so-called leaders of our secular society, they mock and, and ridicule these verses as being outdated, as, teach, as what, uh, th that their teaching is abhorrent, I mean, obviously the argument is made Paul was a misogynist, that is, a hater of women. And clearly what he has written here is but one more example. One more example of the various household codes that were part of the Greco-Roman culture of the first century A.D. Well, I'll tell you what. 
I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever about the fact that um, what Paul writes is completely out of step with our culture. Completely, totally, utterly out of step with our culture. But that shouldn't surprise us because what we sometimes fail to recognize, I would say almost always fail to recognize, is that what Paul wrote was radically out of step with his culture. People try to make what Paul writes as just a reflection of the first century A.D. It has, what Paul writes, has nothing to do with the first century A.D. Let me give you some examples. Early Jewish teachers and rabbis believed and taught that women were inherently more evil than men. Can I get an amen? Okay. This was the prayer prayed by many a man in the first century A.D. This was his prayer. I thank God I wasn't born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Now, I don't pray that in the morning. But that was the common prayer of a man in the first century A.D. Josephus, first century Jewish historian, he believed... He believed that for their own good, women were to be in subordination to men. Philo, a first century Jewish philosopher and theologian, believed that women had very little sense. So he is found praising one especially bright female, praising her by saying, intellectually, she's a male. The height of praise. The height of praise. Plutarch, a Roman historian, believed that left to themselves, women would pursue folly. In Roman law, the law that controlled the first century A.D., Roman law gave to the male head of the household complete complete authority over his wife, his children, and his slaves. Well, you've heard this saying, and I think there's truth in this saying, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, and therefore it should not surprise us to learn that such ideas led, in fact, to the horrible abuse of wives and of children and of slaves by their husbands and fathers and masters. In fact, things became so bad, things were so bad, that there were secular teachers and philosophers who thought that perhaps they could help by writing some some household codes. And these household codes were written to advise the male heads of households on how to more properly govern their wives and their children and their slaves. Of course, with that kind of thing, there's always a kicker, isn't there? (laughs) I mean, the kicker is... Who's to say what's proper? They were going to write a bunch of household codes that the male heads of households would know how to properly treat their wives, their children, their slaves. But who's to say what's proper? Which is why our secular culture says, arguing very strenuously the idea, who's to say what's right? Who's to say what's wrong? 
which is why that the secular culture of which we are a part says to us, you can take or reject Paul's so-called household codes. Because what Paul has written in Colossians and as we have read in Ephesians is nothing more than another list of suggestions concerning how the male head of the house should treat his wife, children, and slaves, and how his wife and children and slaves should relate and respond to his headship. I mean, there are those who would argue that Paul produced this list of suggestions for the very purpose of showing, of trying to show Roman culture that they had nothing to fear from Christians. You have nothing to fear from us. We also have our own household code, and here it is. And of course, of all of this, this that I've just told you, if this evaluation of what Paul wrote is correct, then obviously what Paul wrote is in fact applicable only to a very select number of people in the first century. And clearly it's not directly applicable to us. Which is the position taken by many in our day, and, and you need to know this, even by many so-called evangelicals. But the truth is, <laughs> the truth is that Paul's so-called household code, it doesn't fit the thinking and the practices of the first century any better than it does the 21st century, which is exactly what we should expect. Exactly what we should expect. After all, it's Paul who wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, that God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. It's Paul who calls upon us here in Ephesians, in Ephesians 4, verses 17 and following, it's Paul who calls upon us to no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thinking, for they are darkened in their understanding. Does that sound like somebody who's going, okay, I want to fit in here. You know, I, I, I want the rest of you around us to know that you have nothing to fear from those of us who are Christians because what we think fits exact. Paul says, you know, we, 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 God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. And Paul says, you know, don't walk like the Gentiles walk. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding. And so we set aside the Word of God and we go our own way and we do our own thing and just take a look around you or maybe even closer to home than just simply out there. And look at the consequences. Look at the results. Look at the bottom line for a culture, for a society that chooses to mock and ridicule what the Apostle Paul has written and certainly does not acknowledge it to be the Word of the living God. Now, there is much to be said 
about Paul's instruction to the wife to submit to her husband. And we will begin to do that. I'm going to delay that one more week. I just haven't worked up the courage yet. Um, That's a joke. You're supposed to giggle at this point. Okay. Because really what I want you to see this morning, what I want you to see this morning, what I want you to recognize as we prepare to come to this table, is I want you to recognize the uniqueness, the singularity of what it is we believe, of what it is we teach, and of what it is we practice. What we believe, what we teach, what we practice is not simply a reflection of our day. It is not simply a reflection of Paul's day. What we believe, what we teach, what we practice is in fact radically out of step with the thinking of the first century, and it is radically out of step with the thinking of the 21st century. Always has been, and until God changes the hearts of men and women, always will be. And let me give you, let me give you the most startling example of how out of step Paul is with the first century. Many would say, well, Paul telling the wife to be in submission to her husband that that fits right into the first century, except Paul adds the kicker that she submits, she is to submit to her husband, how? As to the Lord. Now, we'll talk about the significance of that statement next week, but what I want you to stop and think about is who, who could possibly understand, embrace, and obey what Paul has said there, except someone who understood what it was to be in submission to the Lord, first of all. You see what I'm saying? This is not, there's no general statement here where, where everybody who hears it could go, that's good advice. Anybody who heard what Paul said would have to have gone, then what does that mean? Okay, wives to be in submission to your husband, I like that. Okay, that's good stuff. Be in submission to your husband as to the Lord. Huh. Huh. Secondly, for this for our purposes this morning, look at verse twenty five of Ephesians. Ephesians five. Look at verse twenty five. Secondly, having called upon the wife to submit to her husband, Paul instructs the husband in verse 25 to love his wife as Christ loves the church. Now, that idea is totally unique. That is a total singularity as far as the thinking of the first century would have been concerned. And perhaps as far as the thinking of the 21st century is concerned. You are to love your wife. To love your wife, how? To love your wife as Christ loves his church. Love your wife. Okay, I love my wife. Love your wife as Christ loves the church. What does that mean? There's no way anybody in the first century could hear Paul preach these truths or or read these truths that Paul was given and say, yeah, I agree with all that, unless in their hearts there was reason to hope they would begin to have some understanding of what Paul has written. That idea, totally unique, totally out, out of step 
with the cultural ideas of the first century. The idea that a wife was to be loved. Now listen to me. The idea that a wife was to be loved not simply for what she could provide for her husband, but that she was to be loved in a sacrificial manner was absolutely radical. That's a radical idea. As we've talked about, the husband has no right to act as a tyrant, which was very much true in first century culture. And unfortunately, it's often too true in 21st century culture, even among so-called evangelicals. Husbands who look at that verse and go, it says you're supposed to submit to me. And are there husbands who do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a disaster. No right to act as a tyrant. He's to love and cherish his wife. He's to honor her. He's to seek her happiness. He is to do all he can to lighten her her burden. Husbands, listen to me. If you love your wife, if if your wife loves the Lord, Let me turn this around. If your wife loves the Lord and she struggles to submit to you, the problem may be yours. That's not always the case, but I'm going to tell you in my experience, nearly 40 years of ministry, that's more often true than not. More often true than not. If a woman who loves the Lord struggles to submit to her husband, yeah, it may be a reflection of her own sinfulness, but it also may be a reflection of the sinfulness of her husband, of his inability to love her as Christ loves the church. I mean, most stunning. Here in Ephesians chapter 5, are the verses that precede Ephesians 5.22, which is why I read them this morning. Particularly, just look at verses 15 through 21 again. Go back there and look at these verses with me. Look at Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21. These are absolutely stunning words. Listen carefully then how you walk. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody in your heart. Giving thanks. Always, for everything, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Live wisely. Understand the Lord's will. Be filled with the Spirit. Praise and thank God always for everything. And submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, one of the main reasons I take the time to read that this morning is, to, is I hope to help you see these, this is not a household code. These are not words written for a general audience. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 that these are spiritual truths 
for people who are spiritually enabled to understand them and spiritually equipped to obey them. What do you mean spiritually enabled, spiritually to understand, spiritually to believe, spiritually uh, equipped to do? I'm talking about those in whom the Holy Spirit of God is at work. That's to whom these words are spoken. These, Paul's teaching are for believers. Paul's teaching are for those who, uh, by grace, have acknowledged Jesus to be the unique and only way of salvation, that He is God come in human flesh, that He lived a sinless life, that He took upon Himself the sins of His people, that He died to pay the penalty for their transgressions, that He rose triumphant from over sin, death, and the grave, that He ascended back to the Father's right hand, where He now reigns over all of the affairs of, of this world and of our individual lives, and from whence He will come again to judge the living and the dead, believing these things to be true. We embrace Jesus as, his, as our Savior and Lord. And as we mature in our faith, we come to understand that our ability to believe is in fact the gift of faith. Because God the Father has sent God the Holy Spirit to dwell within us that we might recognize God the Son as our Savior, as our Lord, and as our King, and that by that Holy Spirit we might now be empowered to live as God instructs. What Paul writes about the roles and the responsibilities of Christians in general, and then about their roles and responsibilities as husbands and wives, is totally unique. It was unique in the first century. It is unique in the 21st century. It didn't fit then. It doesn't fit now. Which is what we should expect. Why? Because our faith, that which we call Christianity, is totally unique. You understand that? All other religions are mankind seeking God. Religions which suggest ways and methods by which their followers can achieve acceptance with that God that they seek. Only Christianity speaks of a God who seeks His people. Seeks His people lives for them, dies for them, rises for them, reigns for them, is coming again for them. It is God the Holy Spirit who changes our hearts of stone into hearts alive unto God, gifting us with the ability to embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord and King. That, that faith that is yours a wonderful thing but you have nothing of which to boast it is God's gift don't you dare look at other people and think to yourself well I'm glad I'm smarter than they are I'm glad I have more spiritual sensitivity than they do your faith is a gift of God, which is why 
when our hearts break for others, what do we do? We pray. We pray asking what? We pray for God to send His Holy Spirit and do what only He can do. Do what only He can do. Listen to what Paul writes. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 if you can. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, If anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now watch this. Listen to this. Listen to this. Okay, we understand all that. We believe we're a new creation. Listen to this. All this, you becoming a new creation, all this is from God. From God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. You get, the, you get the direction of the action here? All this is through God. It's from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. He gave us the, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is this ministry? That What do we are to proclaim? We are to proclaim that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. You get the direction here? God reconciling to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That glorious passage that Tom read in Psalm 103 this morning. Do those verses ever get old to be read? That's God's doing. Reconciling the world, not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us the message, this message of reconciliation. Therefore, now listen to this. This is who you are. Listen. Understand who you are. You who believe that Jesus Christ is Savior, Lord, and King. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. Wow. God making His appeal through us. How important is the life you live? How important are the things that you choose to say and the things that you choose to do? How important is it that you strive each day in the strength that God gives to live as He would have you to live, to, to, to show yourself an imitator of God, it is because it is through you that God makes His appeal. Wow. That's a little sobering. It's through you. God doesn't need me. He needs you. What do you mean God needs me? It's the way He has set things up. He makes His appeal through you. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sakes, He made Him to be, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become... The, you see the exchange here? 
He takes our sins. He takes our sins. And in exchange, He grants to us His righteousness. He takes from us. We, we take off in His name the robes of our sinfulness. And He clothes us in the robe of His perfect righteousness. And then, through us, He makes His appeal. What Paul wrote didn't fit the first century, doesn't fit the 21st century. What he writes is for those whose eyes have been opened, their ears have been unstopped, their hearts have been changed, their wills have been refocused. What Paul writes is for, is for now, that you know and understand that you were created by Christ and for Christ and that only in following hard after Him can you live that life that He created you to live. A life both abundantly blessed, a life that is eternal, and a life as husbands and as wives. A life through which God makes His appeal. Wow. Let's pray. Father, prepare us for this table. May we celebrate this holy meal in gratitude to You, in thanksgiving and in praise that You have rescued us from sin's curse and from sin's power. And that now by Your Holy Spirit, we are enabled and we are equipped and we are empowered to be the people that You created us to be so that through us, You might make Your appeal to those around us. Oh God, make us appealing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.